Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Advent season is upon us. And while there's the anticipation and joy of this season, right? We enjoy all of that stuff as well we should. But Advent carries with it this sense of longing, this expectation, this desiring. Will God show up? Will God reveal himself? These are the questions that come before us in this season of Advent. And we mark this journey together as church family. Uh, last week, the Eggerts uh, read for us and lit the first candle. And that first candle represents uh, the one who will come to overcome evil by his own sacrifice. And so we wait and we long. God, will you show up? Today, the, the barons are going to lead us in our reading and our candlelighting. So Rick and Nina, Levi, Abel, Lucia, kids are awesome. Thank you for reading for us today and lighting our second candle. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord... The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Today, we light the second candle of Advent. The candle represents the one we are waiting for, who will renew all things. Wonderful. Thank you. The one who will renew all things. Mm. Don't our hearts long for renewal? We feel the... The ache and the sting of a sin-filled, broken world and our hearts long for renewal. Let's pray together and seek him. Join me. Father, Abba, Adonai, Lord of heaven's armies, we call out to you. And we praise your name for you are worthy of praise. By your design, through the power of your word, you spoke all of creation into being. By your intention, we exist. You are our rescuer. You are our rock. You are our salvation. And we cling to you in hope. Today, would you reveal yourself to us through your word, empowered by your spirit. May that same spirit that inspired these words to be written down be the one that makes these words come alive to us today. Ignite our imagination. Draw us into these words that we read. Father, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, open our eyes to see with eyes of faith. Would you, by the power of your spirit, open our ears? We're so deaf. Our ears are filled with noise so often. But would you unplug our ears that we might hear you and Father, would you, by the power of your spirit, soften our hard, stubborn hearts. 
we come before you in humility because we need you and we trust your goodness. So in your goodness, in your power, soften our hearts, make our hearts good soil for the seed of your word to fall, grow roots and bear fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to read today, sticking towards the, the beginning, uh, we're going to read today from Genesis chapter 8, we're going to begin. So you can begin turning there in your Bibles. Let me set the stage for us. Here we are in Genesis chapter 8. It's a story that many of us are familiar with. It's the story of uh, Noah, the ark, and the flood. Now, a lot of times we've engaged this story for many of us the first time in maybe a children's Bible or a children's uh, story time. And, and one of the temptations for us is to have our imaginations captor, captured by the, um, the, the kid version of this story. Maybe we even have uh, paintings in our kids' nursery, like for little children, and it's got the picture of the elephant sticking its head out the ark window going, woo, it's a party out here on the water, right? And so we've got these, these images of what's happening here. But when we pay attention to the story, we actually get a very different picture of what's going on. A picture that stops us in our tracks, that demands we pay attention. And it's a picture that reveals who God is. And that he is indeed the one who renews all things. And so it births in us a hope. It births in us expectation. births in us longing. And so we pay attention to this story. Again, we're not very long into the history of the world. Things went sideways fairly quickly. Outside of Eden, we're introduced to Cain. The first murder, out of jealousy, ambition, rebellion, he took life. See, that's what happens, is we join with the chaos serpent, like we talked about last week. We join with him, and we become agents of chaos. We become agents of rebellion, sin, and it always produces violence, and violence produces death. And so we see this whole progression in Cain's story, but it doesn't stop with Cain. It's Cain's story after Cain's story after Cain's story. And then cities of Cain's are built. And now we have a whole bunch of Cain's running all over the earth. And what God looked and saw is that his creation that was made for goodness, beauty, and love was being filled with rebellion violence and death and God looked and he saw one man and his family Noah and his three sons and their wives and he set about to guard and protect instructed him to build an ark what in the world is an ark we haven't seen these things before right this is all brand new, but Noah did exactly as God told him to. And so we catch a glimpse of God's salvation. And then the rains come, the flood waters sweep across the land. For days upon days upon days, this floating ark just floats. And then soon the waters recede. And this vessel settles. And then comes the time for them to get off. To be on land once again. And this is where I want us to pick up our reading today in Genesis chapter 8. We're going to begin at verse 15. Genesis eight fifteen through uh, the beginning of chapter 9. So God is speaking to Noah. Verse 15, then God said to Noah... Come out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. 
the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives and all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds and everything that moves on land came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on this altar. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil, even from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. We pick up at chapter 9, we'll read a few verses here. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. Verse 4, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. Listen to this, for in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you... God said, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So this is the engagement between God and Noah as the ark settles and God calls them out to live on the land once again. What we see in this, what we see in this, listen for it in the words, listen for it in this engagement. In the face of great evil, right? In the face of great evil, wickedness and violence, God never gives up on his plan to bring flourishing new life to all of creation. In the face of evil, wickedness, violence, and death, in staggering degree, God never gives up on his plan, which has always been to bring flourishing, to bring goodness to all of creation. That's what this story is doing for us. That is what we're being drawn into. And one of the first things we have to grapple with is this vision of wickedness and violence. For so many of us in our day, we might think of it as just another day. Like, well, sure, our news feeds are filled with this. Was it really that big of a deal? Was it really that bad? Well, listen, let's, let's go back, and, and I want to read this second part here, beginning, so we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 6. Nothing escapes God's attention. Nothing escapes God's attention. Listen to what's being described here, uh, beginning in verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Listen to verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Hmm. This this new name emerges on the scene here, and verse 9 tells us this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Isn't that something? 
Isn't that something? Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people For the earth is filled with violence because of all of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And then God gives him very explicit instructions on what to do, how to build this ark. See, this is the way that that things emerged. Humans were created of the dust of the ground, God's breath, spirit in them. God took the man and the woman, placed them in Eden, in a place of abundance, in a place of flourishing, and then he commissioned them to cover the earth. Cover the earth. You're going to exercise rule and dominion over all of creation, and it was always designed to be with God, to rule and reign with God. But they chose to exercise ruling and reigning without God, and were thus cast out of Eden. And evil and wickedness took root in the human heart. This rejection of God's law, this rejection of God's love, this determination to do it on one's own, to see what seems delightful and good and to take it for oneself. And see, that is always a participation with God's enemy. We saw that in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was more crafty than all the other animals that God had created. And he just plants seeds of doubt about God's goodness and God's ability to provide and God's wisdom. And he fans into flame the desire to accomplish what they were created for without God. And so they saw, they took for themselves. And that rebellion steamrolled. What God had said is you're free to eat from anything in the garden, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, then you will surely die. And God explains what death looks like as decay creeps into creation. See, rebellion against God, rejection of God's life and law to claim apart from God does violence does violence. It does violence in the human heart. It does violence in ripping apart the God-created relationship between humanity and God. It does violence in tearing apart relationship between people. It does violence in our thoughts, and the violence grows roots in our heart. I had somebody ask me one time, why, why, why do we always talk about violence? Because scripture talks about sin in these violent terms. Our sin produces violence in the world in which we live. There's the overt violence of uh, strife and division and war and murder. But there's the violence of manipulation, of control, of cajoling to get to take what I want for myself from another. It does violence and the human heart is filled with violence and God sees it and this violence leads to death that's where it goes and God doesn't miss a thing he looks and he sees the violence over all of creation we might think that God misses things. We might think that maybe God is a bit too busy to pay all that much attention or that God is a bit naive. Be assured, God, Yahweh, is not deceived by our trickery, our tricks that we use to cover up our own sin and violence, to justify that which we claim for ourselves apart from him. God doesn't miss a thing. And he looks and he sees. And instead of goodness, beauty, abundance, and flourishing covering the earth, which was humans' created commission, what covered the earth? Violence, rebellion, death. 
And so God said, done. God's response to the violence and wickedness, we see this in the flood. God's hand of discipline. You might remember we go back to Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we're told that his spirit hovered above the chaos waters, the void, the nothingness. God's spirit hovered above. And then he began to put boundaries in place. He created boundaries for light and darkness. He created boundaries for the waters, sky and earth. And he created boundaries even amongst the waters on the earth. He put the waters into their place and created land. See, God's creation was putting in bounds the sea. He was, he was bringing order to the chaos. It's, it's what he does. It's what this creation looks like. And so in the flood... What we see is God's removing his hand of grace. We see God removing his hands of order. We see God removing the boundaries to the floodwaters. And from the sea and from the sky, the waters, the chaos waters come crashing in upon creation. This whole chaotic waters scene is about de-creation. God had put it in order upon creation, and as he removed his hand and let sin, chaos, violence, and death have its way, the chaos waters come crashing in yet again, covering, decreating. See, God's discipline is so often characterized in Scripture as his removal, his, his letting humanity have its way. And it leads to exile, which is the picture scripture gives us of death. And so God removes his hands and the chaos waters pour in. And yet even in that place, God looked and he saw and he saved and rescued. Noah and his family stood out against the backdrop of evil Noah walked faithfully with God. And God's salvation through Noah, through the ark, God's salvation launches his renewal of all things. And so we look at this, God's saving in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the boundaries being taken away and the chaos waters crashing in. God directs the building of an ark. And then fills it with everything. It was teeming with life, this ark. Does that ring a bell for us? Of a place after God had created the man and woman, he created a garden for them. We call that garden what? Eden. This ark is a mini floating Eden. That, that's what God wants us to see as we're reading the story. He wants us to see that his salvation, there it is. God has never given up on his plan. And so he is rescued by shaping, by forming, by inviting humanity to join him, right? God didn't just poof the ark. He gave instructions. Here's how you build it. And Noah walked faithfully with God. And so the ark gets built. All the animals come onto it two by two. It's filled with teeming, with flourishing. A little floating Eden. God's discipline, God's saving. And then we see God's renewal of all things. Go back to what we had read earlier in uh, chapter 8. Chapter 8. Uh, verse 20, right? We want to look at this renewal of all things. 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. As the ark settles and Noah comes off, one of the first things he does is he builds an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and the clean birds. He had prepared for this by God's instruction, preserved them on the floating Eden, and he sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord. This um, offering that Noah builds is a sign of submission. Right, we're told God walks faithfully, or Noah walks faithfully with the Lord. Here he is doing it. Um, it's a sign of submission. It's a sign of gratitude. He recognizes that, that, that he, his family, that the creatures on the ark were saved by God. And so they're providing this offering uh, of God, and it's an act of worship. 
right? Because that's what humans were created to do, to represent creation in worshiping the creator. And so Noah in this first act does this very thing. Uh, Verses 21 and 22, God responds to that. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, right? Uh, the, the writer here is personifying God, like, like sniffing. And so we're get, getting a glimpse of that. Like God is receiving this offering and he's saying it's good. And then in response to this gift that's been given to him, God says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. God promises not to destroy creation, to decreate by flood ever again. And he puts a sign in the sky, we read on, puts a sign in the sky, the the bow that uh, is a sign of God's covenant promise to never do this again. What we also see is uh, over in chapter 9, so this verse isn't up on the screen, uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 2, what does Noah do? He plants a vineyard. So we've had this floating little Eden. Coming off of that, we offer a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. This is uh, woven into humanity's created commission. And then he plants a garden. Again, these are all images that should be coming back to our minds of what was happening in Genesis 1 and 2. Why? Because God never gives up. In the face of astonishing evil and wickedness, God never gives up. And his plan in the face of this wickedness and evil was to bring flourishing and new life and renewal to all of his creation. And so he's going about his work doing that. And then uh, look at verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Again, we're reading these words. It should be striking us. Like, oh, those were the same words that God used when he commissioned Adam and Eve. The commission of God continues. God's plan continues. And in the face of this colossal wickedness and rebellion, God gives them over to it. And the chaos waters come crashing in. And they taste death because that's where sin and violence always leads. But even in the face of that, the waters recede. The mini Eden settles. And out come the people who walk with God. And God with them. And God is renewing all things. Out of the ark comes all of these animals. The animals should go and prosper and flourish over all of creation. Out of the ark come humanity. And God says, go, rule and reign, subdue the earth. All these creatures fear you. Except for the deer in your backyard. They don't fear anybody. But, but, but it creates this, this calling, this commission to rule and to reign over all of creation. Take what you have been given out of the goodness and abundance and beauty and love of God and let it spread over all of creation. It's happening again. God never gives up. And he moves for the goodness and flourishing of his creation. And so this is the story again. Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, off the rails. Few chapters in Genesis, it's going big time off the rails. And then we get this encounter of God's saving of Noah and his family through the ark of the little Eden. And it begs the question, was Noah the one we've been waiting for? Like we know there needs to be somebody who's going to make things right again. Could Noah possibly be the one who we've been waiting for? Nope. What did he do with the garden? He took it because it seemed good and he took it for himself and he got drunk from the vineyard. Oh, Noah's not the one. But 
It, it's leaving us this breadcrumb trail. If, if we'll pay attention, if we'll see what God is doing, that in the face of colossal wickedness and evil, God never gives up on his plan to bring flourishing new life to all of creation. If we will pay attention to this, if we will see it, we will begin to understand this is leading us somewhere. It's building in us a hopeful expectation. What will happen when the one we've been waiting for actually comes? Right? That's the, the longing. What will happen when the one we've been waiting for actually comes? He will forgive people's sins and renew all things. Oh, this, this is what we're waiting for. When the one, the, the one that God will send, when he comes, when the one comes, his people will receive forgiveness of sin. And there will be renewal of all things. And flourishing, flourishing will move throughout creation. Noah wasn't the one. We have two-thirds of our Bible that gives us other pictures of who are not the ones. And then as we turn our attention into the Gospels, we, oh, we wonder. This one called Emmanuel. Jesus, could, could he be the one? Right, we know that when the one comes, he's going to bring this renewal. He's going to bring the forgiveness of sin. Could he be the one? It's interesting, looking back, the apostle Paul in a number of places refers to Jesus, the Christ, as the new Adam. He'll say death came through the first Adam, the one we read about at the beginning of Genesis, but life comes through the second Adam. Adam, Adam, man, the one sent. And so Jesus is giving us this picture that he is the one who has come to renew all things. We catch glimpses of this, right? When we see Jesus bring healing. Look at all the ways that he brings healing. As he engages a blind man. He says, what do you want? Oh, I've been blind since birth. Jesus some of this is a little bit interesting, right? So spits in some dirt, rubs it on his eyes, says, go wash it clean. And it washes clean and he can see for the first time in his life. Jesus sees a man who was born lame. All he could do was beg by the gate. And he says, pick up your mat and walk. The man does better than that. He picks up his mat and dances. And he runs, like for the first time, he's got use of his legs. So we see these healings of Jesus. Those aren't party tricks that Jesus is doing. They are signs. They are signs that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is breaking in to our midst. It's coming near. It's drawing close. And when the kingdom comes, healing is in its wake. Flourishing is in its wake. So we see these healings as a sign of the kingdom that Jesus is indeed the one. He is renewing all things. That which has been broken and corrupted is being renewed and restored. We see Jesus bring flourishing. Maybe you remember the story of Jesus teaching on a great big hill and thousands of people gathering. And his disciples tap him on the shoulder and says, Jesus, good talk. Time to wrap it up because people need to head into town and get some food. And what is Jesus' response? You feed them. Are you kidding me? Got a kid over here who didn't have the good sense to hide his lunch. And so now we're away. He's got some bread. He's got some fish. Jesus, this is all we got. Jesus breaks the bread, gives thanks, says distribute it. To thousands of people, they ate from a little boy's lunch. And then what happened? Each of the disciples went and filled baskets with the leftover. This is a picture of flourishing, of abundance. Why? Because when the kingdom breaks in, there's flourishing and abundance. Because God, in the face of great wickedness and sin, has never given up on his project to redeem his people and renew all of creation. And so here we are wondering, could Jesus be the one? Jesus commanding the chaos waters of the storm, sleeping, having the audacity to sleep in a boat while the storm rages on and finally his disciples wake him up. And he stands and goes, quiet. And the chaos waters 
And I love what the disciples ask after that moment. It says, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? All right, that's the question that we're supposed to be asking too. Who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? You want to know who this is? It is the one who set the boundaries in place in Genesis 1 and 2. That's who this is. The one who has always come to calm the chaos waters, to put them in their boundaries and bring renewal and thriving once again. This is Jesus. And of course, we have Jesus' resurrection. Through his death on a cross, we have forgiveness of sins. And through his resurrection, we have the hope of renewal of all things. And we are told in scripture that it was, his resurrection was the first of many to come. That those who are in him by faith will too know the beauty of bodily resurrection. And after his resurrection and before his ascension to the right hand of God on the throne, Jesus commissioned his followers to do what? Take what I have given you into all the world. The commission never stops. In the face of great wickedness and evil, God never gives up. He is insistent on moving forward to bring goodness and flourishing through forgiveness and redemption and new life to all of his creation. Jesus is the one. And we see these patterns at play even today, even today as we look at the world in which we live. And so let's look at this pattern that we're given here. One, it's crucial to be honest about sin and brokenness, about rebellion and violence. Even today, God doesn't miss a thing. The sin and rebellion that lives deeply rooted in the human heart, God sees it clear as day. And here's the thing. God is not naive. God is not obtuse. He does not choose to just look the other way. God looks and he sees that the human heart continues to burgeon with wickedness and violence. Because each of us are a participant in the chaos, the rebellion, the rejection, the sin that leads to violence and death. And the goodness and flourishing that God has given is being ripped. And I rip it and you rip it. And the only way we will experience healing and redemption is when we are honest about it too. God will always be honest about our sin and about the human condition. And if we want to encounter God, if we want to walk with him, if we want to taste his renewal and flourishing, then we will be honest too. God is so real God is so real. He most fully meets us where we really are. When we hide, when we obfuscate, when we deny and push off, when we self-justify our taking and our keeping, then God removes his hands and gives us over to the lust of our own hearts. And it is our undoing. But God is merciful. He is gracious. For in the face of great wickedness and evil, God moves. James 5 tells us, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. In a context of community for us to be open and honest with our own brokenness that we bring to the table is the beginning of our healing because it's meeting God where we really are. It's no longer pretending and in our sin and our brokenness, God disciplines, gives us over. But the intention of his discipline is not to crush. The intention of his discipline is repentance and salvation. 
God's voice is not the shaming voice. God's voice is not the, uh, the voice of, of destruction. God's voice is the one calling, come home. You've been out there in the far off country. Come to your senses. Come home. And I'll show you the way. God's discipline, God's discipline is designed to lead, to bring me, to bring you to humble repentance. That we would stop the desiring, grasping, and taking. And that we would be counted among those like Noah, at least in the first part of our story when we first meet him, who walked faithfully with God. And in response to that repentance, God gives forgiveness. 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 And God's forgiveness through Jesus and Christ alone, through God's forgiveness, he launches renewal. Renewal in our spirits, renewal in our lives. God's forgiveness launches renewal. Do you see the pattern even in our day? Violence and wickedness running rampant around us and we participate with it. When we see, when we desire, when we grasp, when we take, we contribute to the violence. It's our sin and God leaves us and we experience it, don't we? The crushing waters coming in It's lost relationships, it's lost jobs, it's lost peace, it's lost hope. And the waters come crashing in. But even as the waters come crashing in, in the face of great wickedness and evil, God never gives up on his restoration project. And through Christ, he holds out this gift of forgiveness, freedom from sin. And that forgiveness launches renewal, flourishing. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the renewal of God has begun. And upon Jesus' return, he will come back, resurrected body in physical form, as upon his return, he will establish his rule over all of creation and finally cast sin and death into the lake of fire, never to be grappled with again. But until that day, we live in a world that is still roiling with violence, with wickedness, with rebellion and sin. But into this world, the kingdom comes crashing and through forgiveness launches a renewal for any who will come to him. And his people have been commissioned to take that message everywhere we go, that the earth might be covered in his glory and redeemed by his grace. It happens on a cosmic scale. It happens on a personal scale. His mansion is a a really important part of us. It's a ministry that we've been connected to for for years. And uh, I have just loved how not too long ago, uh, I'm I'm pointing here because it's a bunch of you. Uh, You come and you worship with us and, and you're part of us. Like you're center pointers, you're his mansioners, I get it. But you're center pointers too. And that is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, several weeks ago, I got to go, my wife and I got to come to your graduation. And there were four of you who graduated. They're not sitting amongst us now. They've gone back home and uh, launching into other places of renewal in their lives. And one of the things that inspired me so much is, as I sat there and I listened is each of the graduates, it wasn't um, um, just kind of uh, like as often typical in graduations, just some, some funny stories and some go get them and your future is out there. It was uh, real. It was authentic. And each of the graduates shared a story, shared their story. And the beauty of each of those stories is they held out what was real. And it was hard. Many of you have those stories. They're hard. But the healing comes as we hold those stories out. As we deal with them in authenticity and reality. Right? Some of you who sit here, part of his mansion, you're just beginning the journey. 
you're just learning and you're still trying to even figure it out and, and even fight it out. Like, I'll give a little bit, but I don't want to open all the way up. I don't want to go all the way there. The healing comes with the openness. The healing comes with the honesty. And that's what I heard in those graduation stories. That's what I see as I get to know you a little bit as our story, as our paths cross, as we got to sit around lunch tables together. And I see those stories and I admire what's going on so beautifully and powerfully in that community. In the context of this community, there's healing, restoration, and redemption. And my friends, that is Christ's vision for his church. That it wouldn't be just something that happens on a hill just past Deering but that it would happen in our lives as we share this life together, that the renewal of God would touch down in our midst. But the beginning point is our honesty. The beginning point is our honesty. And let's be honest. Some of us, maybe even many of us, grew up in Christian traditions that bore the name of Christ, but clearly communicated, you're only welcome here when you got it put together. Don't show up with your mess. Don't show up with your junk. Certainly don't show up with your sin. Pull it together and then come on in. Overtly or covertly, those were so many of the messages that many of us have had to grapple with. And so we live with a perception that God really only wants me to come near when I've got it put together. That is not who he is. He is the God who sees with precision the places of your brokenness, the chaos waters rushing in. And into the midst of violence and wickedness, the God of the universe sees and comes crashing in with his redemptive love. And if we will be honest, James says, confess your sins one to another. If we will be honest, the redemption begins through honest repentance, through honest confession, there is forgiveness of sin. And forgiveness of sin launches renewal in our lives, in our families, in our communities as friends, and into the world around us. God has never given up on you. God has never given up on you. Listen, God has never given up on you. He knows your brokenness. He knows my brokenness. He knows your frailty and your weakness. He knows the temptations that seem to stick to you every time. He knows your rebellion and your rejection. He sees you and he moves towards you because into a world of brokenness, wickedness, sin, violence, and death, the kingdom of heaven comes crashing in. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are free. For those who will come to him with honest repentance and confession, you are free free. And through that freedom, and through that forgiveness, the renewal might begin like a mustard seed, but it grows and flourishes and becomes the largest plant in the garden for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the question is, what brokenness do I bring to the table such that I can experience God's healing and renewal in Jesus. Come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. And come towards him. For he has already come towards you. We've all got it, don't we? I try so hard to cover up my stubbornness, my pride, my selfishness, but it comes leaking out and does violence in the midst of relationships that I treasure. And the pathway of healing is ownership and honesty and confession and repentance.
confess your sins one to another that you might know healing. Close your eyes, if you would. Invite God to show you this question, uh, show you what he wants you to see as you ask this question. What brokenness, what evil, what sin do I bring? What do I bring to him such that I might experience God's healing and renewal through Christ? God renews our sorrow. God renews our shame. God renews our sin and rebellion. God renews our weakness. He does this with his love unleashed into the world through Jesus the Christ. Father, by your spirit, reveal to us the places where we have been hiding. Show us what you see in ourselves. And as you do, we hold it out for you in humble repentance and confession. We say, God, here, take it. I don't want to carry it anymore. Take it. And let us hear you say, my son, my daughter, you are forgiven. You are free. The seeds of renewal are planted in your soul. God, renew us by your spirit as you forgive us by your grace. And let us know goodness, joy, the abundance of your love, grace, and mercy. Let us know your peace as you still the chaos waters. And teach us to walk with you in abundance and flourishing as your renewed people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. When we catch a glimpse of what God is doing, there is hope. We don't need to look at the news feeds and go, oh, nothing good is going to happen for into the garbage of our sin and rebellion, God moves and renews. That is good news for you who hear at this day. It is good news for those who come across your path with whom you will share that good news. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there is forgiveness of sin and the renewal of life because God breaks in and brings renewal. May that hope be yours. May that peace be yours. If there's any way that we can pray for you, maybe there's something stirring in you and you've got some questions you want to talk with somebody, our prayer team is going to be up here. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you that you might experience this grace, uh, beauty, and renewal through Jesus Christ alive in you. Until we meet again, walk with him. Walk with him in his flourishing renewal as you go. Don't forget, if you want to hang out and get to know Ron a little bit better, our elder candidate, head on over to the South Wing. Grab your kids first. Don't leave them upstairs. Grab your kids and uh, head on over to the South Wing. Ron would love to get to know you a little bit better with our nominating committee. Take care, everybody. Have a great Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.